Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a woman who has been a model, a television personality, a former online columnist for Sports Illustrated. She's also worked as the game day host for the New York Jets and was a co-host of the 2010 Versus Sports news show, The Daily Line. In a time where Twitter feeds these days are kind of scary and you kind of really don't want to look at them. her Just hundred away from what the president does. Yeah, exactly. Her 140 character tweets this past week have been some of the bravest and most inspirational tweets I have seen in quite a long time. Uh, it's therefore our pleasure to welcome Jen Sturger to WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Jen. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going good. And, and we appreciate you joining us uh, tonight. In light of the allegations of sexual harassment and abuse against Andy Signor of Defy Media, as well as Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein, you've taken to social media, which I have to imagine brings up some trauma. So we really appreciate you coming on to talk about this. And in trying to best construct this interview, I was torn as to where to start, because your story is really incredible. But before we get into that, there's one tweet that I kept coming back to, and it's because I also remember you saying the same line to George Stephanopoulos on Good Morning America, and that line is, I still maintain I was not the right martyr for the cause. If it had happened to someone else higher on the food chain or with a bigger company, then they'd likely have survived the storm. But not a 28-year-old former Maxim Playboy model who's just turning her life around. It's been seven years since that time. And maybe I don't feel the word martyr is the correct word, but do you think that you can now become a voice or an advocate for women who you know, have gone through what you've gone through? I certainly hope that, you know, I didn't go through the things I went through uh, in New York in vain. You know, and I think that one of the things that was really stressed to me when it was all happening, because people don't realize, like, they may not realize that it happened in 2008 and it came out in 2010, and I had dealt with it very, very privately. I, you know, I went to therapy. I consulted with people that I trusted within the industry. And, you know, I had all but put that behind me, and I was moving forward with my life when everything came out. And so having to see all of this come back up in such a public way now, like for other women, it's just really, for lack of a better word, it's really triggered me. And I just watched all these women coming out you know, in the past week, and I was just like, I'm so proud that women are finally standing up for themselves and showing that the culture is changing and that hopefully we can start putting the things that are being done to us out in the forefront so we can talk about it. There can be a discussion, and people, it doesn't have to be hidden anymore. You take a look, even in the case of, of Weinstein, Ashley that's, Judd came out, right. which something happened years ago. Well, that, that's a, a thought that I'd ask, like to ask about, Jen. You see this, and this involves things that go back years upon years upon years. And you see this comes out, and things that happened, like happened this week with Harvey Weinstein. What is your reaction in terms of looking at this stuff that happened, people come and say this happened years ago, versus have things changed now in terms of the workplace? I think things are changing now because women are getting fed up. You know, we're, we're talking to each other, we're supporting each other finally, and we're realizing that this is much more commonplace than we were letting everyone believe it was. You know, back when, you know, I was dealing with my situation in New York uh, when I was working with the NFL, 
it was a very different culture and a very different, you know, society. Now, society standards, you know, for masculinity, I think, are changing. And I think men are actually listening to women, hearing their stories, and saying, hey, look, we, we can't treat women like this. We have to start treating them as equals. They're just as capable of doing the same job as us. And I think that that's definitely become much more of the narrative now in today's culture. Let's start with your story a little bit, your, the beginning. You attend Florida State University. What, what's your major back then? <laughs> My major. Oh, like we, we talk about majors like it actually means something. <laughs> I went to school at Florida State, and I studied criminology and psychology. I was a double major. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've used any bit of my degree, except for dealing with sociopaths. That's the only thing it's helped me with. <laughs> so you're part of the FSU Cowgirls with C.J. Perry, for you wrestling fans, you know her as Lana, um, Allison Torres, and Jessica Fuqua. How did the Cowgirls come about? Wh- you know, Who had that idea, and-, and how did that start? God, that group was actually the second group of girls that I did that with. Um, the very first group of girls were actually just a some girlfriends of mine that I worked uh, I worked at a bar with. I was really, uh, I worked a lot in the nightlife scenes. I was constantly bartending. Even though I had a full ride to Florida State scholarship-wise, I, I still had to pay for books and, you know, rent and just life expenses, and I didn't want to be a burden on my parents. So I was working, you know, five nights a week at the bar, bartending and slaving away. Uh, and so the girls that I actually did it the first time with were girls that I worked at the bar with. And we were just tailgating one day after work, and we're going to go to the Miami game, and then I actually got beer spilt on me at the Indian Village, which is a place across the street from the stadium. And so I was like, you know what? I do not have time to fight this traffic and go home and change. I'm just going to go in my bathing suit. It was like 100 degrees out with humidity, so I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to bite the bullet and go. And that was the night everything kind of changed. You know, um, Brent Musburger found me on you know television on the cameras and said, I think it was like 15,000 red-blooded young American men just signed up to go to Florida State or something like that. Right. And uh, I'm pretty sure they're still using that as a recruiting video. <laughs> Which is interesting because this was in the days before, I mean, we're talking MySpace days back then, not even Facebook pretty much. Uh, you gained a cult following. You moved to New York to pursue a career as an actress and a model. You appear in both Maxim and Playboy, and you begin your, your stint as the game day hostess for the Jets in 2008. Um, you, you have an um, article that appears in Cosmo where you say, my boobs are not, you, when you made a decision to shed your image and, uh, because you didn't want to be objectified, so you had implants removed and, and you said, my boobs were not the only, were, my boobs were not only the first thing some producers saw, you wrote, they were also the only thing. So when you've now tried to transform yourself, and this still happens, what, how frustrating is that for you? It's really frustrating. You know, the whole, the whole idea to remove my implants that I had came about from my experience when I was working with the Jets. And so after that season was over and my contract wasn't renewed, I really took some time to kind of, um, you know, build myself back up because people don't realize I was incredibly damaged and I was incredibly um, scared and just tortured from what I had been through when I worked there. And I just needed the time to kind of just reassess who I was and what my priorities were and what was important to me. And I really desperately wanted to be taken more seriously. And 
I was just like, maybe if, if everyone's going to keep blaming me and saying that she looks this way, she deserves it, then what if I take away all the distractions, all the visual distractions, the fake hair, the fake nails, the fake boobs, the flashy clothes, the push-up bras, if I take all of that away and I just, you know, strip it down to the bare bones of what I am as a person, can they still come at me with this stuff? And it turns out that they can which is interesting because a couple of your tweets said this past week was that you've never recovered from what happened when you work with the Jets. I still see a therapist on a weekly basis take anti-anxiety meds. In 2008, when you sought advice from friends, NFL players, and Alice you trust, they all told you to stay quiet if you wanted your job. You went on to tweet, also as an aside, some of the nastiest things that said to me in response to what happened were from women, women who still have jobs in sports. For me, that's an awful... That was an incredible part of it. It really was. And, I, yeah. and it, to this day, you know, looking back at, looking at their tweets now, I checked in on some of them when I wrote that tweet. Because I was like, I want to see what their whole narrative is now that this is being brought to the forefront. And, of course, now they're all beating their chest and being like, we're a feminist, hear me roar. But I'm like, do you guys the same women that attacked me when everything came out about me? So what makes it different now? And like I said, I think the only thing that I can account for now is that we're talking about it. It's a discussion now and that we, we're creating this place that we're allowed to talk about the things that happened to us and saying we're not going to stand for this anymore. On, on a different level, not the same sexual level as everything else, but you take a look at the controversy years to do over women in locker rooms, and that's pretty much gone away. And then you see Cam Newton and the statement he makes this week. When you see a Cam Newton-type statement, What's your thought, the first thought that comes to your mind when you see that? It's laughable. I mean, look, football doesn't, it's not a genius-level game to either analyze or play. Like, guys with stage 3 CTE can discuss it, like, with proficiency. (laughs) So why does that mean I can't discuss it with proficiency because I have ovaries? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. It's such a flawed argument. And yet it continues to go on, and you take a look at the women that get hired, and it's almost like there's a blueprint of what a sideline reporter should look like. Yes. uh, If if it's Fox, they're blonde. They're blonde. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Uh, So my favorite tweet of all was, and this is so profound, I'm not the Brett Favre girl. I'm someone's daughter, someone's sister, someone's friend, and soon to be someone's wife. I had a life before it. I'll make a new one after it if I have to fight tooth and nail for it. Uh, that's why this dialogue is important. I have to imagine that it took a long time for you to get to that point. And on top of it, Twitter is it's great for some things, but there are so many Twitter trolls out there that write so many stupid and vile things when they comment. So how do you deal with that? You, you're, you're trying to get the word out, yet in this day and age, there are those people that that's opening a door for them to, to ridicule you. I think a lot of people use uh, the whole freedom of speech thing, especially on the Internet, as just a way of spreading hate and attacking people. And a lot of the times, they don't even believe a lot of things they're saying. They're just saying it to get attention, or they're saying it to rile you up, or to insert themselves into uh, a dialogue that's being had online. Look, I miss the days of Twitter when I could just make a joke, and it was a joke, and that's all it was. Um, Or I could make a statement, and it would just 
be back and forth and like fun jabbing with friends. I think now Twitter's become much more of a social platform for us to discuss ideas and things that are happening in our society. You know, one of the first things I think, you know, we discussed earlier when you when you called me before the interview was we were talking about this presidency has really uh, changed the way women are treated, and I think that it it normalized a lot of the things that happened to me. And when the whole election night was going down, I remember being at the gym with my fiance Cody, and I just burst into tears in the middle of my workout watching all of the results come in. And he goes, "What's wrong?" And I said, "This is going to make what happened to me okay, and it's going to make it okay for it to happen to women everywhere." Because when you allow that to be the top narrative in the country, the person that is making the decisions, and the, the, the higher up the person of power is, the worse it's going to be. So when you see all these executives like Weinstein, you know, regardless of their political affiliations and things like that, but a lot of the predatoriness, you know, um, predatoriness of the whole thing comes from men being in power and using that power to kind of... Um, abuse women that are beneath them, women who don't have necessarily the, the background and the skills and things like that. That's why when I said, you know, if this would have happened to anyone else higher up on the food chain, the result probably would have been different because they would have had the backing of a major network or a publicist or a manager. I was a, you know, when, when the actual incident happened, I was 25. I had no representation. I was doing everything myself. And I had no lawyers. I was literally going off of what my friends that played played football, my friends that were analysts, and, um, you know, close confidants, the advice they were giving me, which is all just be quiet, Jen. You will lose your job. You know, you bring up the point about president. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that, you know, he made a, a quote at one point that he could go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone, still get elected. You bring up, he normalizes. I mean, this is a man who was caught on tape, and that tape circulated freely that said, you know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. Just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. And we all know the rest of right. that quote. She won't repeat. And yet, he carried the women's vote in a lot of areas, which just it boggles my mind. And you're right. It does somewhat normalize, unfortunately, what went on. Um, I know you speak in classes for sports media. What do you tell the women who are just starting out in the business and how to protect themselves from, from sexual harassment in the workplace? When I'm teaching these classes, I try to, you know, I try to keep it light. I'm a very sarcastic, funny person, um, but I also keep it very real with these kids when I go in there and I talk to them. Uh, it's weird calling them kids because I don't feel like I'm that far removed from college, but I am. It's a real gut check when I go into these classes. Um, but I really, I like sitting down and I like talking to them because I like telling them, like, look, this is the reality. This is the stuff they don't prepare you for in these classes. They can give you all of the technical stuff you need to know. They can give you all of the, you know, the ins and outs on how the quote-unquote industry is supposed to work um, and teach you about the game. They don't teach you about how to deal with the culture around sports and around broadcasting and around being in that boys' club environment. They don't teach you how to handle that. And so even someone like myself who really, you know, I pride myself on, quote, unquote, being one of the guys, that doesn't mean that I'm up for being treated like I'm lesser than one of them. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I have to say that you've handled this amazingly well. And again, we only see the front you put on, and I, I, I'm sure it, it takes mm -hmm. all, all you can muster to take, you know, to do this. Um, I saw an interview you did on TMZ talking about your comedy career where the reporter, if, if you know, first of all, you can call anyone that works I'm at TMZ, TMZ a reporter, yeah. um, <laughs> was talking about your comedy career, and he actually asked you, which I just couldn't believe, if you were going to do Brett Favre jokes in your act, and, and I sat there mortified, yeah. but I was in awe of the way you handled it. I, I know you're doing comedy, but one of your tweets said, I know I will get my chance again to do what I love. So what is it that you love, and what is it that you want to get back to doing? You know, I love, I think what it comes down to, I love telling stories. And even when I was working in sports, I loved telling the story of being a sports fan, of being someone that, that understood the game and understood all of the things that make sports wonderful. You know, and so I have always just considered myself a storyteller. Um, whether my career allows me to work in sports again or whether it's, it, you know, pushes me over, you know, I stay more into the comedy route. You know, I just finished working as a, as a writer on a show on Comedy Central Pilot. And I, I really enjoy doing that stuff because sports are supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be irreverent. They're supposed to be a distraction from the things that are going on in our life. And I think, you know, given the way things are now, we need them more now than ever. And so I just hope that wherever my career takes me, that I'm able to continue telling you know, stories and continue making people laugh, because that's what I really enjoy doing. You know, I want to um, that's why comedy just felt like a natural outlet to me. Um, you know, when I worked on the show in the Daily Line um, in New York, I w it was supposed to be Sports Nation before there was a Sports Nation, basically. And I just remember the day they came in one day and they said, we're not going to do funny anymore. And I literally raised my hand in the middle of a room full of people, and I said, then why am I here? Like, I don't want to do hardcore sports journalism. Like, I want to cover this in a way that's entertaining and fun and tells a story and gets people involved and is excited about sports as I am. You know, and that was, uh, I just really remember that moment when they were like, nope, no more comedy, no more fun. And I was like, peace. <laughs> you know, you said something before in terms of talking about social media. So you used to be able to make a joke. You're doing comedy now. Are there any type of jokes that you think you can't do, just generally, not the specific one that Mark asked about, about Brett Favre jokes, you feel because you're worried you're going to say something, it'll get a snippet, it'll somebody take a, you know, a video of you, put it on Twitter, and it'll get misconstrued. And then say, you, right, right look, she's, she's, she's being really, hypocritical. Right, exactly. Right. Anything you feel you can't do in comedy now because of that? Oh, all the time. All the time. I think now um, political correctness uh, is twofold. Like, a lot of people are demanding we have more of it and a lot more, like, decency toward each other. But then there's also the, the side that's, like, the bully side, you know, that, that there's nothing funny being said in the comedy that, that like, is making the joke. You know what I mean? Um, like, I write a lot of roast jokes. And so I would do, like, the roast battle and things like that out here in L.A. And I always made sure, no matter how mean my jokes were, they had to be funnier than they were mean. Like, they had to be funny. It wasn't about just tearing someone else down. It had to be clever. It had to be witty. And that was, like, that's a big, a big thing with my comedy is I just, I don't want to do comedy for the sake of just tearing someone else down. And so I try 
even when I'm doing my roast jokes, to make myself the butt of the joke or to make it about an idea instead of an individual. You know, we've gone the entire interview without mentioning the fact that you also got engaged this year to one of our favorite <laughs> guests and, and maybe one of the greatest Twitter follows out there as well, and that's Cody Decker, who um, I've had the opportunity to meet and just a, a wonderful guy. So we want to wish you and Cody nothing but the best of luck. And while we don't have any money in the budget whatsoever, all right, we'd like to give you and Cody an open invitation, if you like. You can have a spot here every week to report on sports. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Trust me. <laughs> I like how you're like, we can't pay you anything. Right, but, no, right. no. <laughs> well, we can pay you double what AJ and I make, which, right. again, is not anything. <laughs> so, so, Jen, thank you so much for your time tonight. But more importantly, thanks for stepping up as a father of a, a daughter. You know, I would hope, you know, that you standing up would give her the strength to stand up if ever she had that situation where she works and I'm sure many other you know, fathers of daughters and parents all around the country appreciate what you're doing and, and keep it up. I, I know it has to be tough, especially, you know, when I see some of the responses to the tweets. It's, uh, but we really appreciate it. No problem, guys. And like I said, a lot of it comes from you. A lot of it comes from men standing up and saying, we're not going to allow our daughters, our wives, you know, our friends to be treated like they're any less than we are, you know, you know, we're not, we're going to treat human beings like human beings, regardless of their race, their gender, and their sexual orientation. And I think, you know, a lot of that comes down on you guys, and I commend you guys for being on the forefront of changing the way this is being spoken about. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jen Sturger, former and maybe future sportscaster.